some megachurch pastors have always been accused of having watered-down sermons. But is it actually New Age heresy that's infiltrated the theology of many megachurches today? Is this old heretical teaching made a new resurgence into the church? Today, we sit down with Melissa Doherty, who came out of the New Age movement inside of a church, to hear her story and what to look out for. Bruce Lawn. Melissa, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, a lot of folks here are familiar with your YouTube and your story, and I wanted you just to tell us a bit about you dabbling in New Ageism and not even knowing it inside of a seemingly Christian church. Um, yeah, I became a Christian at 16, and uh, there was no YouTube, right? And I immediately became very hungry to know more about the Bible. And it was really cool because this was like the first, like, bona fide, I would consider still even to this day, like miracle that I had experienced. I, I, I remember waking up after I had a conversation with a friend about Jesus and believing what he said. And I remember waking up and light shone differently. I smelled things different. The world looked different. And it, it felt like I woke up in like a Disney movie, if I'm honest. It's just, I, I heard the birds <laughs> chirping. Things were, yeah, things were just different. And even food, right? I wanted to eat different. I thought different things. I felt like a new creation. I felt like I had been born again. And I didn't know what that meant. But the one thing that was really huge, that was almost insatiable, was this hunger to know the Bible. To know, no, 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 no. I went, I had so many questions too. I was an apologist from the get-go. I'm like, oh, mm. what about hell? What about, how do we get the Bible? You know, Christianity 101 stuff. And the long and short of it is, is that really nowhere I turned did I get answers. The most terrible response that somebody could give me was just have faith. I, I That did not roll over well with me. Um, I, I did not fit in at many women's Bible study groups. I just, I, I had this hunger to really understand uh, in an intellectual way, uh, this, this God that I loved and I wanted to tell everybody about, but I didn't have good theology, um, hermeneutics, apologetics. I needed those things and I didn't get them. And this is important. I grew up with a lot of these new age ideas. My great grandparents were Christian scientists and it's neither Christian nor science and it's not Scientology because <laughs> that's the first thing that people think. And I'm like, no, nah, it's none of those three. Um, it's a lot of mind science stuff, metaphysical belief. Your thoughts can become things. You can heal yourself through your thoughts and manifest your desires um, I was never a practicing Christian scientist though. These were just some of the things that I grew up hearing, you know, that we were powerful, that whatever Jesus could do, he was literally the example. We could do those same things. And Hey man, they're quoting scripture and they're talking about Jesus. And it seemed very Christian to me. So what I ended up doing to, uh, to fill that desire to know God is I started reading, from these, what I didn't realize at the time to be new age teachers on the shelf of my, uh, my bookshelf, you know, and, and listening to a lot of teachings that I grew up with about manifesting, visualizing, um, teachers like Eckhart Tolle were huge in my house. Oprah is a huge new ager. I, I loved hearing what she had to say about spirituality and, uh, Rhonda Byrne with the secret law of attraction was enormous. And uh, manifesting and visualizing were, were huge, but there was always this belief that somehow we are all divine. Human beings are all divine. And uh, I took this hook, line, and sinker. I, I went to church for 10 to 12 years with these beliefs, and it was a big church. Dare I say it turned into a mega church eventually, and never once was I challenged in any of these things. And so I married together these new age beliefs with my Christianity and did not realize that there was a word for it called new age. I had no idea. Another long story short, I came out of this in 2010 after I had my first daughter because I really wanted to research religions. And it was in the research of actually studying the Jehovah's Witness religion that I discovered that I had basically believed and fallen for the serpent's lie, this belief that we could all be divine. And uh, it was from there that I just started into counter-cult ministry, learned a lot about the Bible. And eventually over time, got into ministry uh, all around, but talking a lot about new age in the church. Now, from your vantage point, it sounds like you're born again. It sounds like you're saved. It sounds like you have new desires. You you desire scripture. You desire God. You, you're, everything is new. However, it sounds like taking some of these things from 
the Christian science, which I love how you said is neither Christian nor science, <laughs> no, and no. infusing it into this this Jesus, this historical Jesus, kind of sent sent you down a, a, a bit of a, a wonky road, if you will. And mm-hmm. but what what was the door out? Sounds like it was just like healthy apologetics and a good framework for how to and reading the Bible. I believed that God was fixing the mistakes in the Bible by giving us these spiritual teachers. And it wasn't Christian science per se. That was my hold family's on, hold on, hold on. background. You, you got to say that one more time because that's a gem that many people miss when we're thinking what? about this. Say that one more time. Mm-hmm. You said you said that God gave us speakers to to fix yeah. the mistakes in the Bible. Yes, and and here's the thing, and we'll get into this, I'm sure. But this is what really grinds my gears about the whole "touch not my anointed" mm-hmm. uh, people. Yeah, like the the prophets. Like there's there's a line to cross with that. If you believe that you can get a direct word from God, a direct word, either from yourself or by somebody else that seems to be gifted in that. And you're looking for some sort of confirmation for something that you're going through in your life. And you are purposely looking for signs. You're purposely looking for people to uh, talk to you about this situation, whatever it may be in your life. Why would I have need to go read the dusty book on my shelf for answers if I can hear from God directly? So it's so easy to be able to substitute those things for legitimate Bible reading. And I, I was obsessed. I would say that I was addicted to uh, the supernatural. Um, I felt like my experience was way more uh, palatable than reading the Bible. Why would I need to read that? You know, uh, I feel like maybe there's some spiritual truths in this. And this is very similar, by the way, to what a progressive Christian would believe. But yeah, I believed that. I believed that there were limits to the Bible and these people that had, they were super spiritual and had this one way line to God, the red phone to God, if you will. They were the ones that they could really speak into this moment right here and right now. Hearing Melissa's story showed me how much new age teaching could be a slippery slope. It got me thinking, what are the telltale signs that my church or maybe your church could be influenced by some of this teaching? Who are some predominant Christian thought leaders that may be consciously or subconsciously allowing this influence to seep into what they're presenting in a Sunday morning church service? So what Melissa and I are going to unpack next may shock you in terms of what teachings and voices you may need to look out for. Give me some examples of what you would consider a new age teaching that has crept into certain circles, and we can get as specific as you want to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to actually really define what is the new age, because it is like pinning down a cloud. And it's an umbrella term, first of all. It's an umbrella term for Gnosticism, Paganism, Pantheism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Reincarnation, Psychic Mediums, tarot card readers, universal energies, and much more. And the things that I practiced in the new age, um, and I, again, didn't realize this wasn't new age. I thought this is things that like Jesus did. These were the deeper metaphysical teachings that I believed that Jesus taught. Uh, we're having a spirit guide, trances, crystals, manifesting, visualizing, meditation, which is different than biblical meditation, by the way, auras, which is like seeing a glow around people, which is something my mother actually experienced. Uh, Power objects, clairvoyance and clairaudience, which are just fancy words for um, uh, like developed psychic abilities, Uh, extrasensory perception, hearing voices, things like that, contacting angels, all these things. So you have this umbrella term, right? And my friend, Stephen Bancars, he he wrote a book called The Second Coming of the New Age. And this is how he describes it. Uh, Quote, the new age is a collection of beliefs and practices aimed at bringing enlightenment. The goal is to elevate our spiritual condition to a level of self-divinity. This movement teaches that we don't become divine, uh, but that we already are divine. The enlightenment that the New Age uh, movement seeks to bring about is arrived at by leaving a state of self-ignorance and realizing that the uh, inner self is ultimately God. So think of it like this. It's like a, a solid bar belief system, right? And this is why it's so hard to describe, because you can pick and choose from the worldviews that you agree with the most and basically, in essence, create your own God. You can mm-hmm. create your own belief system. And that really is the essence of what the new age is and why it's so hard to define. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're I was a Christian and I believe to this day I was born again, I was just very biblically Ill- illiterate. I was ignorant to it. And I think this is why looking back, 
I can see these things in hindsight now that I'm where I'm at and sound the alarm for that. You know, I'm like, hey, guys, this is how this happened to me. Um, it's all the same, though, because what it does is that it mixes truth with untruth. And it's the serpent's lie. It's the divinity of self. It's all about self. And this is where a lot of the self-help stuff comes in. This is where a lot of the I have power, you have the power can come in. And to be specific, I'm going to name some names here the of modern new age, straight out, just flat out new age teachers, and then maybe some overlap of even some pastors that people might know that teach what they teach and are actually friends with a lot of these new age teachers. First is Deepak Chopra. Uh, he's a really well known in uh, new age, especially with his meditations. He's really good friends with Oprah. I mentioned her before. Eckhart Tolle, which was somebody that I was really into. Marianne Williamson, Wayne Dyer, Rhonda Byrne, who is the author of The Secret, which took our country by storm years ago uh, with I the law. Yeah, it was, it was, that was huge. I thought that was just, wow, those were things that I was taught growing up. So the fact that this was a mainline cultural thing at that point, I thought was a good thing. Little did I know. Um, and somebody else that I'm, I always like to name is Richard Rohr. Um, Richard Rohr is actually out here where I am. He teaches at the Center for Action and Contemplation here in Albuquerque. And he's a well-known progressive uh, pastor, a uh, Franciscan priest, to be to be clear. He he quotes the Bible, talks about Jesus, even wrote a book called The Universal Christ. And uh, so he's definitely progressive. And I would ask also, uh, everybody pray for these people. I think it's really important to understand that these are still people and they still need our prayers. You know, it's it's not like we're on here trying to, you know, pin them in a corner and, and grab our pitchforks and our, you know, torches. Sure, no, I sure, mean, sure, sure. yeah, pray for them. Uh, these are people that have feelings and they need the gospel. Um, basically, that's how I kind of want to describe the new age, what it is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so is it, is it a, can we put a little God theology in there? I didn't hear you mention that. Yes. Little God so theology. here's the thing. Here's the thing. So you have the new age, right? That mm -hmm. I just described. Right. Here's the problem with the word of faith stuff. It has a history that goes back to Pentecostalism, like uh, the early revivals of Pentecostalism, right? And there's this huge debate over, um, this, I find it fascinating uh, because I like looking into the history of this stuff. But if you're going to look into the word of faith movement, there's a controversy over if it goes back to the mind science cults in the 1800s, in the age of enlightenment, because of the similarities of the, the new age mind science cults. And one of the things that came out of that Kenneth Copeland teaches this, uh, Hagen uh, teaches this and taught this. And these were the fathers of the word of faith movement, Benny Hinn. Mm -hmm. The little God teaching comes from the word of faith movement that, that stemmed from early Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. And the part of the reason why this started happening, no, no surprise is they started thinking they got direct revelation from God. And all of a sudden there was this teaching saying, yes, we are little God. So what God is human beings have to be as well, because mm -hmm. we can do the same things that God can do. Mm -hmm. Do you see mm -hmm. how messed up that is? Yep. And you can see this today. No, I don't think there's going to be a lot of pastors and this is why you have to read their stuff. Um, and this is what I do. This is why I do this in ministry. There's yep. not going to be a lot of pastors nowadays that say, Hey, we're little gods. But this teaching that we can do what Jesus did, literally, more than what he did, rather, is still taught actively in so many churches today. And even the word faith, right? So you and I have a definition of what we understand faith to be. In this movement, and a lot of it, I'm just going to be honest, is in word of faith uh, churches, but the hyper-charismatic churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to throw one out there, Bethel, um, Bill Johnson, they're very big about this. And they believe and teach, and I'm talking about the leaders because I think that's very specific to point out that the leadership is different than the lay people. Sure. And I'm yeah. not calling anybody's salvation into question at all. It's it's about the the leadership really and what they teach. But they follow this line of thinking that what Jesus did, we can do. We can calm the weather. Uh, we can heal at will, and we have the power to manifest based on what we think. And say that's important because what you say has power and it can make things happen. And the reason why is because God had that speaking faith power to uh, create 
So we have that same power. It's messed up. <laughs> and really, this is why it's a debate and a controversy because that that ideal is is way more new age and origin than biblical. Sure. Yet they, yeah, yet they, they quote scripture and they talk about Jesus. And I'm, I'm over here crying foul because I'm like, no, no, by your definition, I could still be practicing these things as a Christian. In other words, I had nothing to repent of. I could have still been doing the things I was doing yeah. um, and, and, and manifesting and visualizing and, and spirit guides and auras and all this stuff um, without actually having to repent of it. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's not right. To kind of follow up on this as well, there's a counterfeit kind of feeling with, with this whole thing, right? So it's not obvious. And I think this is important. Um, have you ever seen Indiana Jones? <laughs> In the last crusade, I love, uh, or no, yeah, it's the one with the Holy Grail. And he's walking into the cave at the end and he sees all these goblets and there's so many to choose from, but there's only one true one. Mm -hmm. And all the ones that he's looking at are, are beautiful. They're enticing. And they, you would think that that would be what like the king of angels would drink out of. No, but he goes over and he points to like this plain, simple goblet. And he's like, no, that's the cup of a carpenter, you know? And that's the point is that there's these counterfeit truths. Sure, that sure. if unless we have like this foundation of what truth is, we won't be able to decipher it. Did you have anything to add to that? What do you think? Yeah, well, I think I think a whole lot, and I have I have questions on kind of like the <laughs> distinction, the distinctions in some of this. Because again, I want to make sure that we're clear. Melissa is not talking in a binary. We're talking along a spectrum of views. Yes. And 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 I don't think what she's saying is that anyone that affiliates with this church or whatever is automatically not, not saved. I don't think she's saying that mm -hmm. either. In terms of the Bethel thing, I'm just, I'll give you guys a resource. Go check out Mike Winger's video on Bethel. Very exhaustive, very well done. Let's Phil Johnson speak for himself and presents the problematic issues with Bethel. And so we're not going to unpack all of that. I have a lot of friends that are influenced by Bethel. I have uh, obviously musically, which is, by the way, that's a whole other conversation we can get into, is the ways a lot of these folks kind of involve the arts and then kind of get a, get a corner on the market of the evangelical industrial complex through music, I think is very interesting. And I think that's actually a, 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 a smart tactic. But goodness gracious, when you got some of these funky theologies around it and people look the other way, but that's a, a good resource for people. So we'll just table that. So, yes, obviously saying um, we are little gods is extremely problematic and, and, mm -hmm. and dangerous. Right. And even that passage in Psalm is completely in Psalms is completely out of context in, in terms of what's actually being said there and the tone of that versus like someone taking that and being like, yeah, I guess we're little gods, right? Like it's so, it's so wonky and misinterpreted. I think the, the, I guess some of the tension that we could talk about is where, uh, in terms of the macro of God moving in supernatural ways, the way he did in your life, right? Where mm -hmm. you said you, you smelt things different, you you saw things different. There was a supernatural thing that happened in salvation. And mm -hmm. I think we would say, okay, that is that is a supernatural thing that happens. It, it is possible, I, I believe, that not, God doesn't have to do miracles. God doesn't mm -hmm. have to heal. God doesn't have to do the supernatural. That I do believe the Bible and salvation is supernatural in and of itself. But I do believe that God can move in a supernatural way if he yeah. chooses so. And he yeah. can heal and he can uh, give people words. I agree with you that if we become dependent on just the supernatural or, or what we would deem the supernatural, right? We, we need a new word. We need a new prophetic uh, conference. We need a new prophetic this. We needed that, right? That can create a, a, a really serious imbalance. So I, I want to make sure that I think, because um, I, I, I don't know where you are on this. The chat's saying, you know, say some things. I am not a cessationist in that. Like, Me I neither. believe the spirit yeah. can move. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying that. We're right? like, yeah, so. we're probably more charismatic than people think. Right, right, right. right. I, I, and by I, I, charismatic, I, I, we simply mean God can move, the Holy Spirit can move yeah. today. We right? believe and in so, the gifts. Yeah, yes, we believe in the gifts. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, even that's like a, a, a character to assume that anybody who has an, a, an issue with the abuse of hypercharismania is yes. all of a sudden doesn't believe in the power of God today, right? That, that's mm -hmm. such a character because that's, yeah. that's, that, that was uh, just said about you in the chat. That's been said about Alan Parr. That's been said about John McRae. None of these guys yeah, no, are, I'm not are a, uh, no. against the moving of the spirit. And I'll probably, be, to, to own it, to own it, I'll probably be the most charismatic out of the bunch. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, I've, I've spoken in tongues. I believe tongues are real. 
deal, the whole bit, right? I do think it gets abused a whole lot, and I'm not sure if it's always done within the confines of Scripture. And I think what you're getting at, and, and, and you can you can you can speak to this, is Scripture has to be our guardrails, right? Oh, yeah. Scripture has yeah. to be the things that guide us, not I'm divine. And God mm-hmm. told me this, and therefore, yeah. right? Because because then you could you could slide into some serious heresy there. And I'll give you one example. Yes. I remember an elder. This was an elder in our church early on. Our church was super young. I remember an elder in our church who was going through a tough time. His wife and him had split, and then they reconciled. And I remember emailing this elder saying, like, I'm like 19, 20 years old at the time. Like, this is years ago. Emailing this elder and saying, hey, man, you can't you can't do this, bro. Like you can't just leave your wife. Right. And, and he emailed me back and and said, God told me it was okay. Right. No biblical grounds, no biblical grounds for divorce, no biblical grounds, no adultery, no, 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 nothing, no abuse, nothing crazy. And he told me, well, no, God told me it's okay. He ended up getting, uh, leaving the church because of that. Right. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's the dangerous thing is if, is if your intuition, your, uh, uh, divine insight, your divine word is the ultimate authority. I feel like that positions a, at least a personal position to abuse and color (laughs) way outside the lines of Christian orthodoxy. And I've seen Mm -hmm. this happen more often than not. And it tends to, unfortunately, I don't want to say it only happens, but it tends to happen a lot from people that are hyper charismatic because I can't point you back to scripture and say, no, bud, you can't leave. You cannot leave your wife. You are out of pocket. Don't put God in a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But don't put God in a box. No, 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 no. God can can speak to us. He's not going to tell you something that overtly contradicts his own word. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I have friends at Cultish, right, Um, the podcast, Mm -hmm. and they have a saying, and I've totally adopted this, and I always have to give them credit for it because it makes so much sense, but bad theology hurts people. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole idea. This is an ecclesiastical problem. Right. I'm not talking can, about can you, mean, like, can, you, can you define what that word means? Ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical the church problem. Mm-hmm. This is an issue within the church. And so when people are talking about like, oh, salvific issues, I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you are teaching these things, this can shipwreck somebody's faith. If you if you follow through with these teachings to their logical conclusion, think about it for a second. And I made a whole video. This is probably one of my most favorite videos I've ever made. And it's called uh, The Secret Sin Invading Christianity. And it's the addiction to the supernatural. And what you do is this, what I did and what a lot of people typically do is it's a feelings-based oriented belief. And my friend, Natasha Crane, she wrote a book called Faithfully Different, one of the best books I've read in this last year. And she has a saying throughout the entire book, happiness is the ultimate goal. Feelings are the ultimate guide. Judging is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. And what she's talking about yeah, man, it's fire. It's so like gross. This, talk- <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross. And that's what she's talking about is this, though, that there's this secularism that's taking over a lot of people. And she gives these stats that are mind blowing. It's very interesting. Um, in fact, I have it here. So this is in her book. This is a recent religious uh, landscape study in 2019. OK, it says 65 percent of Americans identify as Christians. All right. However, there's more to that. Arizona Christian University's American Worldview Inventory, which is a mouthful. They also did a study that's more in-depth. And this is what Natasha says in her book, Faithfully Different. Quote, in 2020, they found that only 6% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. If you are identify as a biblical Christian, like you believe in the Bible, you follow it, you, you understand it, you are in the minority is the case that she's trying to make. Among 18 to 29-year-olds, that number drops to 2%. Perhaps even more shockingly, researchers found that just 21% of those attending evangelical Protestant churches have a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview isn't just shrinking in American culture, but also in the church. And what I'm trying to argue is that there's a cause for this. There's a reason for this. And an example that I give in my video that I mentioned is a being Twitter pated. Some people get that reference, some people don't, uh, but it comes from Bambi. And imagine, if you will, in the beginning of a relationship that you're in and it feels good, right? Like you can't eat, you can't sleep. They're all you think about. You want to talk about them all the time. You're Twitter pated and it's, it feels amazing, like nothing you've ever felt before. And what happens though is over time, that feeling fades. And usually what people start doing is they, they start feeling very insecure, 
they start feeling, wow, I don't think they love me as much anymore because I don't feel the same. And this is really what people do a lot of times with their relationship with God. If you're not having experience all the time, if you're not hearing from God all the time, if you're not feeling him all the time, then that equates to you err to then God doesn't love me as much. Sister so-and-so's, yeah, man, think about this. Think of how that can shipwreck your faith. I think of people like, uh, who was it? Uh, John Steingard, the lead singer to Hawk Nelson. You have Marty Sampson, who was with Hillsong. You have them who are who, who were kind of a victim of that. They had a very feelings-oriented belief in God, but then they started questioning things and ended up leaving the faith. I think that is the end game whenever we look for God in those ways, because you will be let down. You will be let down by those feelings. And and it, there's so much more to that. And that's the whole point. And what I'm trying to tell people is God doesn't love you any less if you don't get your miracle, if you don't get your healing. There is not some sort of spiritual hierarchy within the church. There is no touch thine anointed. No, there is not this. God is throughout scripture very clear that there's no favoritism. Um, so I kind of wanted to point that out. And that's we good. mentioned Bethel. Yeah, keep going. No, I was going to say, that's good. Go, 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 go ahead and move on to Bethel. Yeah, well, you mentioned Bethel before. Um, and here's here's the thing with Bethel. I did I did a video um, on Bill Johnson's When Heaven Invades Earth and on the book uh, Physics of Heaven. And that was a very difficult book, book to get through because it's, let me just read this. Let me just read this quote from this book real quick. Um, and keep in mind what I mentioned before about what I practiced in the New Age. This is a quote. The new age has been trafficking the church's stolen goods for a long time now. I have found throughout scripture at least 75 examples of things that the new age has counterfeited, such as having a spirit guide, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and more. These actually belong to the church. Unquote. That is from the book Physics of Heaven, page 49. This is at sold at the Bethel bookstore. It is on their shelves right now as we speak. This is endorsed by and had co contributions by the leaders at Bethel. The foreword is given by Chris Fallaton. The entire book is an apologetic for why we, the church, need to go into the new age and redeem those practices. We need to, um, wow, there's a lot of spirituality going over on over here in the new age. And man, they're getting results. Why aren't we? We need to go in there and we need to redeem those practices for the church because they belong to us. And I'm over here like, no, <laughs> you can't redeem psychic media. How do you redeem something that God told you to, to divorce? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I think that's where I would cry foul with with Bethel. Yeah. And I've even had friends that like slid into like Christian tarot cards and like, yes, and, like you did yeah. what? And they were like, yeah, but it's like Christian. And I'm like, Christian, <laughs> we just slap Christian on like totally bizarre practices. Adultery. And, let's, yeah. let's slap Christian on adultery. All these things that God says is, right. is bad. It's yeah, a it was, perversion it was, of these things. Yeah, that's good. The, the, see, that's that the, the perversion is, I think, the part that's necessary because I think if we if we look at what a lot of sin, sin is, is it's taking God's intent for something and it's perverting it into a fleshly or a demonic version of it, perversion of it, right? So mm -hmm. how would we navigate this idea of um, there's 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 folks like me that are charismatic, there's folks that believe in miracles, and they read the passages of Jesus saying, "You will do greater things than me," right? Um, mm -hmm. They they'll read the passages and. Uh, and, and, by, and, and, and by, believe me, I believe people can be healed. I believe people, I got, God can do Same. miracles. Yeah. Um, I believe, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I like that stuff. I think that stuff is amazing, right? But when people think that they will um, perform miracles <laughs> with, with a 1,000% with batting average like the, like the early apostles did, Right. Like mm -hmm. they will they will they will deliver stuff. How do you navigate that conversation? Because I don't think what you're saying is no, God can't move no. to in this regard. Right. I don't think we're saying the spirit isn't active. I don't think we're saying there aren't prophetic uh, words that people can get. But mm -hmm. when folks slide into it and say, well, no, I read in, I think, Matthew 10, you know, the disciples mm -hmm. there, they, they Jesus told him, you're going to go cast out demons. You're going to go do this. You're going to go do that. Um, mm -hmm. How do you how do you navigate that conversation? Because I have a I, I, I have a framework of how I would interpret those passages um mm -hmm. but how would you navigate that conversation where people are saying well hold on melissa you're 
you're you're saying all this stuff. However, it, it seems like Jesus instructed his apostles and, the, and his disciples to go out and do these things. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I would implore people to also check out J.P. Moreland on this subject. I think he just came out with a book uh, about these things, and he's charismatic. He covers all these things. And I thought it was a a very well, uh, like an intellectual slash charismatic view, a fair view of these kinds of things. But speaking of Mike Winger, we actually did a whole series on these Bible verses. And this is one that we cover. So like, for example, the one that you'll do greater things, Um, it's very obviously demonstrably shown that we don't walk on water. <laughs> like we, we cannot literally control the weather. We can't do things that Jesus did. So what or, I or, tend or to take see, to move a mountain with, with a mustard seed. <laughs> yes. And there's, there's hermeneutics. There's, there's eisegesis, there's exegesis. Right. And what I find is people have an eisegetical description of these passages. In other words, they take a subjective view in their perspective and put a subjective depiction on what that means instead of taking it from the the perspective of the writer reading the context and doing that hard work sometimes to understand what was trying to be what what was the intent of what was being said and when you take the fact that it's very obviously logically just by logic alone we can tell that's real that's not what jesus meant that could not be what Jesus meant, that we will do greater things than he did in the sense that we will do more miracles um, or higher, greater miracles than he did, because nobody is doing that. Nobody's doing that. And that goes yeah. back to the and whole if they were, well, If they were, I think Alan Parr said, why are you not at the hospital healing every that's single a, child with cancer? Literally, yes, literally, that's the whole idea. Basically, what I see is that there is just, they, they, it's called uh, uh, deification. Deification is where you elevate man and de-elevate God. And this is what you do. To, in order to do what God did, you have to bring him down here. You must. Because that's why you can do these things. If you want to do a miracle, you can because you have the power of God in you. Um, there is no, in other words, you're your own sovereign when it comes to deciding what miracles are going to happen, not the almighty, because he gave you that power. And that's the mindset behind it. It takes away the sovereignty of God. And you will never hear it. Let's, we mentioned Bill Johnson, but you will never hear in any of these churches. You mentioned before that sometimes God doesn't heal. That is not a regular teaching in these churches. In fact, that would yeah. be something that would, yeah, man, that would be rebuked. When those of you guys that are like, Hey, I could heal at a hundred percent accuracy. I I I get prophetic words like Elijah. What tends to happen is you will go down the slippery slope of that. Your healing or your miracle didn't happen because of a lack of faith, right? Yes. And I think that will shipwreck your shipwreck your faith. If it mm-hmm. if it leads you to that, you're going to be in a very dangerous spot. Yep. I mean, very dangerous spot. And when I was 19 years old, um, my church at the time was charismatic. We've yo-yoed all over, by the way, Melissa. We went from super <laughs> duper charismatic to super duper thousand point Calvinist within like a seven year window. It was wild. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. All all over the place. And and I, I feel like we've landed in a much more healthy place now. Balance, but when I was 19 yeah. years old, um, uh, one of my really close friends, his name was Big Mike. Uh, we were doing music together. If you guys go and look up my very first project on Spotify, there's just a couple songs with us on it. Long story short, uh, Big Mike was a big guy and he, uh, dealt with weight. And I remember us sitting down and having this intervention with him and like, Hey man, like you gotta, you know, you gotta start taking your health seriously, this whole bit. And he, um, was starting to, he was starting to walk more and he was starting to do better. He was 20 years old at the time. and, And he was, he was a heavy, he was a heavy, heavy, heavy guy. And he was hunched over. He was coughing at the time. We just thought like, man, you're not taking this seriously. Like you're slumped over. Right. Long story short, like we have this conversation with him. Um, he was receptive to it. A couple days later, we get a call. Hey, Mike's in the hospital with pneumonia. And we're like in the hospital with pneumonia. Like what? what? Like he's 20. Like, how do you go to the hospital with pneumonia? So he's full on in the hospital. We go see him. He's in the ICU. Um, he has tubes everywhere. He can't speak. And we would go every single day um, with anointing oil, 
praying. Different pastors would come in and pray. We would sit there, read him the Bible. We would play worship music. And he was, he was awake, but he couldn't speak because he had tubes. And we were believing that he was going to get healed. We believed it whatever, with, with everything. And I remember um, the doctor who was overseeing him even got him approved for a What's the surgery that shrinks your stomach? I, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, gastric, gastric bypass. bypass. Yeah. yeah. So he, he even got approved for a gastric bypass. Like, hey, as soon as you get over this pneumonia, we're going to we're going to do this for you, right? And I was believing for full on, like, Mike's going to be okay. And I remember I believed it so much that we were helping my friend Cesar, who I'm still close friends with till this day. We were helping him, like, work on his yard, and we were, like, taking a bunch of, like, dirt and driving it somewhere. And we got a call saying, hey, Mike had an episode. Uh, you need to get to the hospital because they're saying he's not going to make it. Oh, and no. I remember getting that call and going, like, there's no, 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 no. God already, God no already said he's going he's yep. to get healed. It's going to be fine. And to the point where we didn't go. We didn't go to the hospital, right? Like, we were just like, ah, oh, we're going to finish. We're going to dump off this dirt. It's going to be fine. And, and literally, like, while we're about to unload the dirt, we get a call 20 minutes later because there's a long line, a bunch of trucks. 20 minutes later, we got a call. Big Mike pa- passed away, right? 20 years old, um, set up to get support to, for Force Health, right? Um, believing in for the healing, praying, ton of faith. And even when I got that call, Melissa, I thought to myself, well, surely God can raise him from the dead if he wanted to. Yep. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. I, I went to the hospital and I didn't go in and see him. I didn't go in and see him because I didn't want to remember him like that. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. there you have <laughs> your theology comes to, to, a, to, a, to a situation where it gets a real life test and says, OK, now what, what does that mean? And thankfully, I had great charismatic brothers around me and they were mm-hmm. just like, well, you know, um, ultimately, God decides who gets healed. And mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. Uh, and he healed and he ultimately took him home, which is the ultimate healing. You know, and so now we're going to celebrate his life. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, like I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. I still don't get why somebody 20 years old would 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 go home to be with the Lord that early, right? It, it didn't mm-hmm. make any sense to me. Um, but if I held on to this rigid, radical, hyper charismatic theology that God has to raise people from the dead, that God has to heal people, um, mm-hmm. I think you get into a very dangerous place because then it falls back on, well, we, we just didn't believe. We just didn't have faith. Mm-hmm. Mike just didn't have the faith to want to wanna yep. be healed. We didn't have the faith. And that is so, so dangerous, I think, in the life of a believer. And there are, I know people personally who've had their faith shipwrecked because God didn't yeah. come through with some miracle or they had some yeah. vision that they were going to be famous or they were going to be rich or they were going to be this. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. come to pass. And it's like, guys, God ultimately decides. Like, he ultimately is sovereign. And I don't mean, like, in a hyper-Calvinistic sense. Like, I, I, yeah, I believe no. that This Psalm is an attribute one. of God. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. literal Psalm, Psalm, attribute. Yeah. Yeah, Psalm 24, 1. Like, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right? God's yes. on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And so I wanted to share that because I think some of this, like, well, no, da, da, da. Okay, well, wait until you're be- you, you pray for your best friend to get healed and he dies. And then you tell me what to do with that, right? I have to wonder, you know, even what's allowed to say out loud at some of these churches, they don't say, because it's a lack of faith, the the consequences for this theology, bad theology hurts people, bad theology hurt me, bad theology hurts these people that are being told that I had enough faith and God healed my daughter. God did this, God did that. And faith is a power that you can manifest if you just have enough faith, because Matthew 7 and, and Mark 16 and all these other verses that are basically cherry pick to conform to this ideology, to this uh, theology, not ideology, this theology, and it stems back to word of faith. Um, then what happens is, is that the blame can't be on God. So it must be on you. And what I think that does. And again, we talked about a spectrum and I, and this is probably a good time to talk about it because it's not, it's, it's mega churches, but it's, it starts with this, you know, these teachings kind of at a minimum. And then it gets really extreme depending on what church you're at. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. With the mega church culture in general and the, uh, the structure and the foundation it makes for these teachings and how it does open the door for these kinds of things. Um, but what happens is, is that if you create an environment where that's the God that you're believing, that's, that's the God that, sh- that always heals. Hallelujah. Um, it, 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 in Jesus name equals abracadabra, you know, it's like all of a sudden you are making a caricature of who Yahweh is. 
Like you are, you are making this God. And what happens is, and this is what I see with people in Jehovah's Witness religion, even uh, Mormon religion, is they end up leaving a God that really scripture doesn't depict. And I think that's a good thing to have sovereignty. I think it's a good thing that God has control over these things. And um, we need to leave room for that. And so that's, that's basically the issue. And, and one other thing as well is to be specific about these teachings that are in the church. Um, I, I made a video, by the way, I made a video, two of them, one about the megachurch. Uh, it's very specific to the megachurch model um, about the issues that are seen with uh, certain celebrity pastors. I give a lot of scriptures about what, you know, the, the church should do and what it, it um, uh, what the seeker sensitive friendly model does and it's life application, things like that, very uh, focused on that. And then I have another video about the top five new age teachings in the church. And this is what I do is that I, I, I take what I experienced in the new age and what you were talking about, right? You, you asked, you believed, but you didn't receive. That is straight up complete law of attraction type of formula. In fact, the formula for the law of attraction that you will find in the secret, it's in the documentary and it's also in the book. The formula is Matthew 7, 7, ask, believe and receive. Sheesh. Yeah, man. And, <laughs> and it's a cherry pick. They, they, they quote Jesus. They quote the whole, you'll do greater things than he did. He was an ascended master. He was here to uh, show us what we could be literally. Um, you see this from the pulpit at uh, Lakewood. Joel Osteen is more law of attraction in his teachings, he's very word of faith, manifest, visualization, those types of types of things, prosperity preaching. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be victorious, things like that. Those same dynamics are taught in these teachings in a Christian, uh, Christian New Agey type of setting. And the other one is, uh, is Richard Rohr. I mentioned him before. He has something. Do you know what panentheism is? Not pantheism, but panentheism. Mm. Mm-mm. Do you know what have you? Okay. So um, to define this, this is important because I want people to understand how to see this, because if you can see it, you're going to be able to spot it in your church, right? Panentheism is uh, okay. So take, this is what he does. Take Jesus, the man, right? And what he does is he redefines Christ, Christ to us who read the Bible. We understand that to mean literally the anointed one, the Messiah. Okay. Not to Richard Rohr. There's a metaphysical definition. And this is how they get away with this. Um, There's a metaphysical definition to Christ where Jesus, the man obtained the Christ. In other words, that he obtained that Godhood, he obtained that divinity. We can do the same thing. So pantheism is everything is God, literally you, me, my computer, my, my mug, everything. We're Mm. all made of that same substance. Panentheism is you obtain that divinity. Um, through all these uh, awakening sort of of universalistic type of beliefs. And universalism yeah. is huge too. Like there is no religious pluralism, all these things I talk about in my other video in depth, but uh, there is no uh, hell. There is no hell. God is all love, no wrath, religious pluralism. All religions are equally true. Like these are all new age beliefs yeah. that are yeah. taught by a lot of progressive Christians. Melissa has multiple videos with really in-depth Bible references for this stuff. This is a conversation, mm-hmm. right? So this isn't like you guys asking for a citation over a conversation. Go dive in deep. If you guys want to hear specific things about Bethel and their error from their words, go look at Mike Winger's video about Bethel. Mm-hmm. We're having a conversation specifically about this. And so I, I want to I want to point to something real real quick because I think what's what's helpful is to understand that yes, obviously. God's not your genie and you don't get to command God around to do whatever you feel like you're going to tell him to do Two, mm-hmm. um, what better place to recognize that we have a God who can relate to human suffering than the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Where we see the greatest injustice, right? A child di- dying, we're hurt. We're angry because that's an injustice, but the greatest injustice in all of history is Jesus on the cross. So mm-hmm. I think that there is a, a degree where, where, where Jesus can relate to us. And I think that helps us make sense of human suffering that God is not, um, Jesus has faced the the temptations that we've gone through. Jesus has endured suffering and that in this life, you will have trouble. Like there will be trials, there will be trouble, so on and so forth. So I think it's important for us to note that now, again, I don't know how many times you guys say this. I love 
God moving in supernatural ways, right? I believe God speaks. I believe God's given me words. Like, I believe these things happen. I think the issue is when you start to command these things um, and you, you don't distinguish divine from human, right? What made yes. Jesus so unique was that he was fully human, fully divine, right? When you can't distinguish divine from human and you think that we're now divine, even if you try to twist it and say, well, the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, therefore we're divine. Yep. Like you're, you're still misunderstanding that, yes, we're now saints. Yes, we're more than conquerors, but that is because of the Holy Spirit imputing Jesus's righteousness to us. So I think mm -hmm. I, I want to make that distinction. I want to, I want to kind of segue into this, this idea of a spectrum, right? Because I do think mm -hmm. there are some things that are, I don't want to say universally true, because that sounds wonky, right? Mm -hmm. But for example, I do believe that how, what you believe about the world will determine how you behave, right? Mm -hmm. So if you believe, if we're going to like go to the, let's just swing to the opposite extreme. If you believe that you're a wretched of a sinner, you suck, you're worthless, you have no value, and you should just be happy that you're getting into heaven, that Jesus died for your disgusting self, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to poke, but this is a, some of you guys on the far end of the the, the reform side, right? I was going like, to say the thousand point Calvinist, the, the cage thousand stage. point Calvinist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, <laughs> they, I mean, they love Genesis three. They ignore all of Genesis one. They don't really talk about us being saints in Christ, being the righteousness of Christ. They just stick to Genesis three. If you believe that, you're going to behave accordingly. Right. And so then you're going to um, idolize persecution and idolize suffering and mm -hmm. idolize being poor and idolize all these things. And I think that is also equally as dangerous. Right. As if you swing to the opposite extreme of the spectrum and you're like, yeah, like I'm, I'm just a scumbag. Right. And then I will, I will also add to that. I do think words matter. I do think what we mm -hmm. think about ourselves and mm -hmm. the words we use to describe ourselves, our families, so on and so forth, matter um, not in a supernatural I could just think something and it'll come to pass because that's the nonsense of the of the of the of the of the secret, right? Yes. Like it's literally manifest manifest it and then it'll come to pass, which is nonsense. I think there's a huge gap between, um, hey, I, Melissa, I want to lose twenty pounds. That's what I want to do. I believe God is for me losing twenty pounds. I believe He's for me. I think He wants me to be lighter and 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 I think I think it'll be healthier and I think I'll feel better when I'm working out and I'll sleep better. So I want to lose twenty pounds, right? So there's a big difference between me believing that and making and that actually coming to pass, right? Yeah. So I could believe that, I could say that, but I I then have to go and put in the work of restricting my calorie, being in a calorie deficit, of then working out and developing more muscle, of sleeping earlier, getting up, getting up earlier so I'm hormonally stable. You can't just say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and then zap, I lose 20 pounds. There's an entire process to that. And I think that's beautiful. Like, that's amazing that God has set us up in a world where there's a cause and effect, where there's mm -hmm. certain things that you got to do if you want to see specific results, generally speaking. Because I might want to lose 20 pounds, but I might have some weird thyroid issue I don't know about. I might have some sort of gut bacteria issue I don't know about. I don't know, right? But I think generally speaking, your thought life does matter. You first do have to believe that you can lose 20 pounds. You then mm -hmm. should probably not speak about yourself like, I'm just some fat dude that'll always be fat and I'm worthless and it'll never happen for me, right? That's not going to get you anywhere. So I do think there's a there's a spectrum there. So, so my, my question to you is, uh, where, where, do you, where do you draw that line, right? Because oh, whether it's financially, yeah. whether it's with fitness, uh -huh. whether it's in a marriage, if we self-deprecate and we believe toxic things, sometimes rooted in a toxic thousand point ca Calvinism, and I'm not d dunking on all Calvinists. That's just, just the, one the aspect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how would you, how would you kind of navigate some of this? Because I do think yeah. that there's a lot of Christians walking around with this woe is me. Yeah. I got this dark cloud over me. And then yeah. you look at our, the way people are living paycheck to paycheck. You look at the yep. way people just aren't flourishing, right? Um, so anyway, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on some of that. Yeah. No, I love this question because um, I remember I remember being so positive-minded that like I'd get in the car and like K-Love seemed negative to me. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> these guys are just bringing me down. You know, like you have to like, that's where I was, man. I'm like, man, I don't want to talk about helping people. You know, my my reality is this, my truth, right? Um, because whatever you let into your reality in that sense, you would manifest somehow. It was a very interesting, uh, garbage mindset I had, but like, okay, here's the line that I would draw. First of all, first of all, this is so cool, but there's an actual science, like a brain science to this. Like you have your amygdala, man, you have your prefrontal cortex, you have your brain that functions in such a way that whatever you do think about 
All right. So like there's an actual science and biblical scriptures like Proverbs talks a lot about this, mm -hmm. um, that there is a chemical science to what you think about whatever you expose yourself to. And this is just humanity. You can be an atheist and believe these things. Like this is something that is uh, across the board uh, applicable to hum humanity, humankind, where what you put, the people that you put yourself around, um, the, the books that you read, the things that you watch are going to affect your attitude. Come on. Yeah, man, that's just logic. <laughs> However, that that's just something we can all accept. And I see what you're saying with people that kind of pendulum in where it's like uh, anything. Oh, gosh, what was it? Oh, I had somebody message me asking um, what they need to do to repent or to have forgiveness from God because they thought they accidentally did a yoga pose. <laughs> oh, my God. And the, um, yeah, they're like <laughs> I was exercising and I did downward dog or whatever it was. And I'm like, girl, no, that that's not how that works. Like, and I, I, I helped her, you know, I, I, I tried to give her as much as I could, but there's like a fear there, right? Like mm. it, it's like a, everything that I do, I must watch. And, and because it's a, I call this the pendulum problem. I made a video about that too, actually, where you want to get so far away from the thing that deceived you that you go way over here and it's a little extreme and then you have to, you know, balance back in the middle. Um, I, I want to point that out too, that there's also what you said, like there's this other side where you draw the line is this, whenever you have to go to scripture and isogetically take a scripture and subjectively interpret that to fit this bias of interpretation that you've been taught. Because if you're in an environment, a church environment, where your leadership says, you cannot question me, right? The emperor's new clothes, right? The, the, the king is the most deceived person in the kingdom. Nobody has an ear to him. Wow. He's powerful. He hears from God. Right. And if you are told that these are this is what these scriptures mean, it's very hard to take those locks off. And um, so what you tend to do, and I know a lot of people in churches do this and I've seen this and I've had these conversations because I'm curious the, the last thing I want to be is like a walking straw man for what I'm doing. I actually physically yeah. I want to if I ever had the chance to like talk to Bill Johnson, I wouldn't I would I would just sit there and listen. Like, what do you believe? Break this down for me. This is what I do to Mormons. I'm like, I have to know what you believe first, because depending on the Mormon you're talking to, you might get a different answer. So it's like, what am I working with here? And a lot of times I find this, that they do not allow thoughts or words, thoughts to come into their mind or words to come out of their mouth um, that would possibly manifest into something negative. And guess who that puts all the pressure on you? you. Yeah, yeah. And let me tell you, Ruslan, I accidentally, I think I accidentally walked into a, uh, uh, very word of faith type church this last weekend in my, in my city. I didn't realize it was word of faith. I was just visiting a new church. And this is exactly what he said. Um, the, when they gave the tithe, when they, when they did the, uh, you know, they pass around the bucket for the tithing. The first thing, it felt like a Joel Osteen thing. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be rich. And in order to do that, you must give to receive. It's the law of tithing. And I'm like, say what? I've never <laughs> actually heard that word, the law of tithing. That is a, um, there's laws of the universe that I learned about, laws of the universe that I learned about in the new age. And it was a spiritual law. And one of them was the law of tithing. It was what you reap is what you sow. And it was done with words, thoughts, actions, money, and whatever you gave, you would receive back tenfold was the law of tithing. And I'm like, I've never heard those words in a church service before. And then the guy gets out, he's a, he was a um, guest pastor, and he's talking about, uh, you know, a lot of the sermon was actually pretty good. But uh, for example, he was talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture where, uh, the, the idol, right. They're going to bow down to the golden idol. They refuse to. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them into the fire and they say, um, we know that our God, I'm paraphrasing. We know that our God can, can save us. He's God almighty. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down to your dirty golden idol. Come on. And he, yeah, man, that's, that's deep. Even if he doesn't. This pastor, Ruslan, took this scripture and said, that is not what that means. No, 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 no. And he had this whole subjective, isogetical, and I'm going to be, I was upset. I was like shaking my head. I'm like, guys, no, get out of here. Like, no, this is not what this means. Um, there is no room 
for that type of teaching. Um, God will, he must give you what you ask for if you have enough faith. And it was just, that was so toxic to me. And I, I don't know, I, I think following that to its logical conclusion can be very theological, da- theologically damaging to people. Yeah. 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 And, and here's, and here's the, the practical side of out of everything you just said, if you are more generous with your money, with your time, with your resources, it tends to make you a more attractive person. It's a mm-hmm. value that other people see and acknowledge. And so something could be happening in the natural of, hey, yeah, you shouldn't store up treasures for yourself on this side of eternity. You shouldn't be owned by money. You shouldn't be controlled by these things. You should be generous to whom much is given, much is, much is required, right? And so there's a very practical sense there of if you give, you will, you, you will, it will change you more than it'll create some magical mystical thing that if I give God a hundred dollars, I'll get back ten thousand dollars, right? Like it's it's Austerity not linear preaching. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not linear yeah. like that. But that yeah. doesn't mean we shouldn't give. Mm-hmm. You should give. You should be generous. Right now, you can get to the weeds on it. Like, is there a little side? They're not a little side. I'll take the position of Mike Winger. Like, hey, uh, we just give ten percent because we just think it's a good discipline. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that's that's kind of what we're on. And so, but, but but I do think there's a practical utility to not being controlled by your money to learning how to carve out uh, a budget so that you can be generous, not just to your mm-hmm. local church, generous in general, buying that single mm-hmm. mom groceries at the at the store when, when you know she might be struggling, blessing people, sliding somebody some money under the doormat because you know they're struggling with rent. Like that mm-hmm. stuff, I'm not, I'm not trying to like flex of like how generous I am, but that stuff has always brought me so much more joy than like, I gave God a thousand dollars and got back a hundredfold. <laughs> like yeah. what? No, you should give because you have. Like that's why mm-hmm. we should be generous, and because it's a great way to not be mastered by our money, right? Like I think yeah. I think there's yeah. a practical side there, and so again, like I just think some of it is is, is exactly what you said. It's a perversion. You're taking something mm-hmm. and you're adding sauce to it, and you're making a perverted version of something mm-hmm. that. Is just hey, you should be generous. Why? Yeah. Uh, because it's good for you, and it's and, and it's a good way to honor God, and it's a good way to bless people. Yeah. Live in that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and there's this whole belief in this um in this belief as well within the church that, and again, this is identical to what I believed that there you are supposed to be uh, prosperous. You are supposed to live. A fulfilled life. That is literally the opening sentences to Rhonda Byrne's book, The Power. I loved that book. It was like the law of attraction on steroids. You were meant to be, uh, live an amazing life. You were meant to be prosperous, like all these things. And uh, you were not meant to get sick. You're not meant to do these things. And, and with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story, one of the things he said is that God promises these things, prosperity, uh, prosperity and health to his Bible to his born again believers. And you shouldn't experience suffering. And all I could think about was like, okay, we'll tell that to a first century Christian that went to the lion's den and believed God and said, I will never bow down to, to the Roman, you know, government, whatever. I will not bow down. God didn't save them. They got thrown into the pit and they died thousands of them. And so it's like the, the argument doesn't follow. Um, and you know, somebody was asking for scriptures earlier. One thing I want to say, uh, with that is I actually made my top five new age teachings in the church. There's a follow-up video on that, that covers all the scriptures for the, for those teachings. There is uh, a few verses I actually do want to read in regards to the law of attraction and positive confession. Do you know what positive confession is? Have you heard of this? It's what we're talking about. Um, positive, yeah, positive confession is basically what we've been saying with words, right? Where your words literally have power and they believe because we are these little manifestations of God that we can uh, do that same thing. Well, I, one, one scripture that I found very interesting is in revelation three, right? And he's talking to the church in Laodicea about them being lukewarm, right? Everybody knows that scripture, Mm -hmm. but this is what he says after being, you know, lukewarm, I want to spit you out. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. You don't need a thing, right? I am rich. I am wealthy. I am healthy. I am, I am, I am. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is Jesus talking. Mm -hmm. I cancel you to buy from me gold refined with fire so you can become rich. 
You Come think on. you're rich. You are Come blind. On. Man, you are blind. You are saying that yeah. you think you are these things. You are blind and naked, he says. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And there's like, there's a rebuke there. And I would also implore people to read the letter of 1 Corinthians. You said it before, Ruslan. It was so good. Uh, oh, abuse of the spirit of the gifts. That was so good. Yes, because uh, 1 Corinthians, it's a whole rebuke to the Corinthians about abusing the gifts. And I'm like, but they were still brothers. He rebuked them as brothers. You know, he corrected them. And I would also implore also another scripture, Romans 16. So people who are um, concerned with division, here's the thing. So Paul is talking to the Romans and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the scripture right in front of me. Romans 16. He's talking to uh, the Romans, the church. And he's saying uh, basically that you need to stick to the teachings that were taught and uh, to call out and hold accountable the teachers bringing in these false teachers. In other words, it is not divisive to call out bad theology. Come on. It is divisive to teach bad theology. Come on. Yeah, man. And so I'm like, you. this is biblical. This is so biblical. Yeah. And another thing that I want to point out as well is a, a scripture that a lot of people um, would probably know is uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be pre-prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Yeah. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. Instead, to suit their own desires, self, that's the, that's the core of it, is yourself. Your self-help is a, what a lot of these things do. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the hard work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So that's what I would implore people with those scriptures to do is read those scriptures, read first Corinthians and remember these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And so just, just to recap guys, just to recap, Melissa is not telling you that doing a stretch is going to open you up to a demonic portal, okay? She's not saying that your thoughts don't matter. She's not Mm. saying that you should just walk around and say anything about yourself. What she's saying is there's a distinction between people and God, and we should not assume that we can manipulate and finesse God into doing whatever we want to do. What did you call it? Was that word deification? It's a fancy word. It's deification where you elevate man and you de-elevate God yeah. to make yourself more in line with God. Yeah, 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 that's good. And so in that, um, I I want people to flourish. Mm-hmm. However, I understand that we don't always control all the variables. And so I always point people back to Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents for the least of these, right? We are faithful with our time, talent, and treasure. However, there's people watching this that are on fixed incomes. There's people watching this that are on disability. There's people watching this that have all types of things that maybe they've happened to them. Maybe they went to war and they've lost a limb or whatever, right? And so in that, we control what we can control and we be faithful with what we're faithful with. We don't get to trick and tell God what we will and won't manifest based on our own divine nature. That's not how it works. And I think if we were honest about that, I think honestly, we can then open up and have some really healthy conversations about what human flourishing looks like biblically. How does a marriage flourish biblically how does your finances flourish biblically how did the how does your health flourish biblically not in this mumbo jumbo i'm gonna think it believe it see it it's gonna come to me because my thoughts willed it nonsense that's not how anything works and and by the way anyone that's ever became successful and i have a lot of friends i'm not trying to flex i have a lot of friends that are multi seven figure some eight figure folks and they will tell you right now that it's not it's not this mumbo jumbo you usher in the energy and harness your vibration and then it'll just come that hey there's actually a lot of work and some divine providence uh sometimes that happens to become successful but it's usually more of a cause and effect with what you've been given 
We're all given different abilities. We're all given different, different, different talents. And I would implore you guys, uh, check out the passages that um, Melissa just referenced and check out Matthew chapter 25. Like really read through Matthew 25 because I think you get um, God's heart for us to be prepared, live and be prepared for when he's going to come back, be faithful with what we have so that we could be uh, generous and, 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 and offer to care for the least of these. Melissa, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I thought this was very edifying. I'm super encouraged by uh, your uh, ability to just navigate these conversations with so much grace um, and humility. Do you have any uh, closing remarks before we get out of here? Yeah, well, first I want to thank you for uh, having me come on. I think that you're really fair in these kinds of assessments, and I hope that I have uh, made my case for I have a love for people I disagree with, um, but I think that there's legitimate issues uh, that we need to talk about and we should not ignore. Um, One thing I do want to say to people again is I think it's really important that people know out there that your love, God's love for you is not based on these things. And the more that you're in the Bible, I think uh, it'll be very freeing to really dig into the words of Jesus and get into those letters in the church. And you'll, you'll be so surprised at how close you'll get to God through, through scripture. Right. And so it's not through this experience. Like don't, don't do the, the compare game with, with sister super Christian over here, you know, uh, to your pastor or whatever it is. And I think, uh, you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, is Jesus alone enough? If you never had any miracle, if you never had any healing, think about it. If you never had one single supernatural experience, no visions, no prophecy, no words, nothing, would he be enough? And I think that that is a very transparent question we have to ask ourselves. And uh, the love is enough. And and you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Mic drop, ladies and gentlemen. Mainstream entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. Check out some of the links in the description for some free resources, including a free how to study the Bible course and a free course I put together with my Christian therapist, Dr. Rudy. Also, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on manifestation and Jack Harlow, check out this video over here recommended for me and YouTube to you. All right. Peace.